Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Jane Addams Resource Corporation provides free manufacturing job training in welding, computerized machining, and mechanical assembly. Each training program is integrated with support services, including financial literacy, employment coaching, and job placement assistance. Training is available in the Ravenswood, Austin, and Chatham neighborhoods of Chicago. And all training sites are currently enrolling new applicants. Visit jane-adams.org to sign up for an application session to learn more about how to start your new career today. That's jane-adams-a-d-d-a-m-s.org. Org. All right, everybody, your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, January 26th is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union and Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. What things? All right, I'll tell you what to do, what to see, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke. And so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hey, Ben, let's hear your Ken Davis impression. (laughs) The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Wednesday, January 26th, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this GOP showdown Wednesday, and here's why. Because it's on in the GOP Republican primary, that is, for governor. Man, oh man, the is this thing on. Richard Irvin's getting so much money. That's the sound of money getting thrown to Richard Irvin. By the way, it's also on for the uh, mayoral debate. Uh, excuse me, the mayoral election here in the city of Chicago. This is breaking news, D. Breaking news as I speak. <laughs> Sorry. Man. You got to run that by me before the show. I'll have the breaking news noise, all right? I love the break. Literally. I couldn't do that because it's literally breaking news. As you were, I had my phone on, which I shouldn't do. Naughty, naughty. And I saw this headline coming off of Crane's breaking news. They call it breaking news. I don't know. Is that technically stealing from the Ben Jarofsky show when Crane's calls it breaking news? Just wondering. I thought breaking news has been around. <laughs> Duncan rips Lightfoot on crime. Arnie Duncan. 
gave a speech, uh, I think it was at the commercial club today, and he just went after Lori Lightfoot on the issue of crime. And uh, I think it's pretty obvious that this man is running for mayor of the city of Chicago. Now, that's like a whole other election cycle ahead. So you got to stay focused, Ben, stay focused uh, on where we're at right now. We're still, we haven't even reached the uh, circulating or submitting the petitions for the June primary uh, election, which leads to the November general election. So I'm already thinking ahead to the mayoral election this thing is a production this trippy but uh that's the way it goes and pc peter cunningham who is sort of the brains behind arnie duncan uh like he was the brains behind Rahm emanuel was on the show last week and he he basically outlined what uh arnie duncan was going to say without saying this is what arnie's going to say and guess what d arnie said it that's not correct so uh the issue will be policing the issue will be crime uh, that's the issue in the uh, throughout the country right now, uh, and that's the issue that will be um, I, I su- uh, assume will be at the top uh, in February of two thousand and what is that twenty three uh, when we uh, the the mayor's races. But here right now in Illinois, and this is what I was talking about: a showdown is brewing between Richard Irvin, uh, the mayor of Aurora. Nobody ever heard of him. Don't act like you heard of him, listeners. Starts. Come on, stop it. Oh, Richard Irvin, I know him. Yeah, yeah known him for it. years. He's great. <laughs> stop. Yeah. stop it. Right now, you only know about him because Kenny G said, this is the guy I want. Kenny G, of course, is Ken Griffin, the richest man in the state of Illinois, uh, diehard Republican. He was the one who uh, got, let's see, well, he got a victory with fair tax. He paid for fair tax. So somehow or other, he talked you suckers into essentially raising your taxes and lowering his <laughs> Good job, voters of Illinois. Uh, and he also was a big supporter of Bruce Rauner. So he's uh, one, one, for, one for two in that one. As Dennis will tell you, he was successful in 2014 when Bruce Rauner was elected. But he was unsuccessful in 2018 when Bruce Rauner was defeated uh, and J.B. Pritzker was elected. Uh, so clearly, Kenny G cannot stand J.B. Pritzker. He hates J.B. Pritzker. Because J.B. represents uh, the democratic politics that he reviles. Essentially, Kenny Griffin believes in redistributing money so richer people get it and you don't get it. And that's essentially his worldview. And so he needs, and Dennis has said many times, he should just run himself, but he don't want to run. And and you know what? I'm going to defend him against your accusation that he's chickening out by not running, D. I'm going to defend him. Okay. Why should he run? for governor thus giving up his ability to make billions of dollars as a hedge fund wheeler dealer why should he give that up if he could just elect a puppet who'll do everything he wants so you're saying so you're saying that like politicians aren't making money while they're in office Nothing like not like Kenny G making you can't name one politician in the United States who's making that kind of money not, Jay, e- not even Illinois Jay- is a state with a grand history of <laughs> profound impact on our nation and our world. JB is worth, I think they say he's worth three billion. All right. And uh, they say Kenny G is worth of uh, forty five billion. That's my memory. Reading that somewhere, maybe she accomplished. Oh, yeah. Here we go. My bad. It was in the Sun Times. I humbly apologize, Sun Times. Uh, so. 
Forbes estimates that uh, Ken Ken Griffin is worth twenty five point five billion. Keep that number in mind twenty five point five. Pritzker's net worth is estimated at three point six billion. I'm doing the math. Hold on, that's twenty two billion more. Big problems. <laughs> so he said he's not going to give up that money. Better have a puppet run. I don't blame him. I think it's a shrewd move on the part of Ken Griffin. <laughs> I don't blame him. Like you can relate with being a billionaire. I don't blame the guy. I mean, I had a billion you dollars know, once. D, one day my <laughs> ship will come in and I too will be a billionaire and you'll get a raise. I promise. All right. <laughs> Although you got it pretty good right now. Ladies and gentlemen. You can see that little studio he set up in the closet. He's living large, man. Um, so anyway, yes. But Kenny she has not even kicked in the money yet for Irvin. And we don't even know. See, here's the thing about uh, the Republicans. They feel uh, they do not feel compelled in any way to publicize to, about what they're up to. They just like, like, I don't know how it's like smoke signals are sent. And so reporters know every whisper in the ears. I had a conversation today. This is off the record, just between you and me. OK, great. great. I had a conversation today from a public official who will not be named. OK. And this is how it works. So this public official who will not be named dropped all kinds of dirt on another public official that the first public official who not be named did not want to be known. And I said to this public official, why don't you come on the show and say everything you just told me to which public official said, are you crazy? I'm just telling you that. So the way it works in usual journalism as practice throughout the world is that I would write a column that say sources close to the democratic organizations say, and then fill in the blank. So somehow or other, that's the game that was played that we know that Ken, Kenny G encouraged to put it mildly, Richard Irvin, the mayor of Aurora, a man that none of you ever heard of except for Aurorians. Aurorians heard of him because Richard Irvin. Oh, he's great. I know that guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's cool. He's cool. No, you're mixing him up with Jason Irvin, who's an alderman from the 28th Ward. Oh, two Irvin. No, no, Richard Irvin. I know that. I've known him for years. He's yeah. awesome. He's great. I've seen him at like o- Obama speeches and stuff. He's cool. He's a good guy. Uh, don't say that wrong party negatory. So he tapped Irvin. Now everybody knows about him. Here, here, D. Look. Here's his picture in the Sun-Times. The Sun-Times is like, oh, yeah, Richard Irvin. He's running for governor. And I got to give Shia Kappel's credit, man. She is really an enterprising reporter uh, from Politico. She uh, went out to the Aurora City Council meeting the other day and sat in uh, for public comment period. Because Irvin won't talk to reporters. Okay, because the strategy of the Republican Party is to prop him up with money from Kenny G., eventually hasn't kicked in yet uh and um they can use that money to air commercials that just beam in your brain (laughs) and convince republican voters to support him in the primary so because they can do that with paid commercials they don't need to have him talk to reporters they don't need him to have do even what trump did you know, give speeches or anything. It's just beam into your brain. And by the way, they still have from Pritzker. You remember JB was playing that game when he ran. 
you know, but he did come on our show at least, you know. I mean, he's playing the game now. He's put so much money already into advertising for this upcoming election, so. He set aside $90 million to, you know what uh, Kenny G said when he saw that? Ha! Ha! My friend! Ha! I'm worth $25 billion. You're worth $3 billion. So anyway, they're pouring money. Uh, they're getting ready to pour money into Richard Irvin's campaign and to promote him uh, as uh, the uh, Republican candidate uh, to run against J.B. Pritzker. And it's going to be interesting because, to put it mildly, Richard Irvin is late to the MAGA game. I don't even know if his heart is in the MAGA game, but if he's going to win, if he's going to win that Republican primary, he's got to go MAGA. And sooner or later, he's going to have to address issues such as whether he believes in uh, masks being mandatory in public schools, whether he believes that uh, you should have vaccination cards to get into uh, public establishments, uh, whether he believes that companies, corporations, large companies should vax their workforce, whether he believes the election was stolen. And that Joe Biden did not uh, win and that the real president is uh, Donald Trump, whether he believed that uh, Donald Trump was in his rights to call election officials in Georgia and tell them to find the votes they needed to elect him, whether he believes that the January 6th insurrectionists are, in fact, American heroes who is carrying out the war for democracy to save our save our election. These are issues that we're going to have to hear from him on, because right now. We don't know if he's with MAGA on these issues. So it's going to be sort of like this game where he avoids saying too many uh, MAGA-like things, which would alienate independent voters or more conservative Democrats, uh, but saying just enough to win the primary. And right now, the Republicans, the big money in the Republican Party are saying, yes, he could do it. And today, Sun-Times had a story about... Um, Various Republican big shots, uh, Craig Dushiswa, James Frank, Sam Zell, Ronald Gidwitz were kicking in uh, to Richard Irvin's campaign fund. They probably never heard of him either, but they see him as a guy uh, that has the potential to defeat Pritzker. And this is this is going to be very interesting to watch this one unfold, ladies and gentlemen, because they think they found uh the way, sort of like the prototypical campaign to run. They found it in Virginia uh, last September with Glenn Youngkin, and they're going to try to replicate that here in Illinois uh, to defeat Pritzker. It's going to be very interesting to see if they can pull it off. Terry Cosgrove is on the show yesterday making it clear that as the head of personal PAC, he's going to be raising the issue of abortion. So that'll be really interesting to hear Richard Irvin on that subject, whether he believes that's uh, – Illinois should impose a Texas-style abortion law. That will be really interesting to see what he has to say on that subject. So he's getting a lot of money. He's getting a lot of attention. Sooner or later, he's going to come out from hiding and tell us what he's all about. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to bring on the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Gary, Indiana, Monroe Anderson, who's standing by. He's fortified by lunch, did his Tai Chi. He's ready to go. Uh, Lee Allen Jones will be joining us in a little while. And uh, we have a lot to talk about. Supreme Court, this is breaking news uh, right before I went on the air, not just all the election news, but uh, Justice uh, Stephen Breyer announced that he's going to step down. I guess, Monroe, the public announcement is coming Thursday. Uh, I 
every Democrat, and it's pretty much only Democrats that show up on the show, except for uh, a sort of lefties who's come on the show has been urging Breyer to step down from the moment moment that uh, Joe Biden, excuse me, from the moment uh, that Warnock was victorious and Ossoff were victorious in Georgia, meaning that the Dems controlled the Senate. Took him a while to do it, Monroe, but he's finally going to step down, giving the Dems more than enough time uh, to come up with a new Supreme Court justice before the midterm elections. Do you agree that they have more than enough time, Monroe Anderson, go? Uh, yes, they do, and they will. Uh, they, they, it's, it's going to be this, this woman, Kenyatta Brown, I'm forgetting her last name right now. Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. How could I forget Jackson? Katanji Brown Jackson. Katanji Brown Jackson. That's that's who it's going to be. That's my prediction. You got it now. I'm writing it down. You made that prediction. Yeah, Uh, exactly. Now, it's not like you're going out on a huge limb. I just want to say this, folks. The New York Times made the same uh, prediction, as did the Washington Post. Well, they, they check with me first. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who's it going to be, Monroe? <laughs> By the way, I got to throw this at you. Yeah. This is a curveball I'm throwing at you. I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but uh-huh. it just popped into my head. Mm-hmm. So we had uh, Terry Cosgrove on the show yesterday, who uh, you You've been on the show with him uh, in the past, and he's the leader of Personal PAC, um, a strategist, an operative, uh, a fierce political fighter, and uh, as responsible as any person, I'd say, uh, for causing uh, Bruce Runner's demise, particularly on the issue of abortion rights, big believer in women's rights, reproductive rights. Uh, And he chided Democrats for watching too too much MSNBC. And I was thinking of you when he said this. He goes, Democrats are watching too much MSNBC. All the news is gloom and doom off of MSNBC. All they do is then cry and whine and get depressed and that the election's over. Uh, the Dems are going to lose. And so they've lost their incentive to fight. And that's why they're going to if they do lose because they'll be pummeled from watching too much MSNBC. Your response to Terry Cosgrove. Obviously, he doesn't watch enough MSNBC because <laughs> that is not an accurate characterization. They they are the closest of of, of any to present a balanced liberal point of view. Um, CNN goes too much to this um, um, balanced point of view, and so sometimes they're like. Uh, Sort of bowing to the conservatives, I sort think, of. Yeah, right. Exactly. CNN, take sort of out of that sentence. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas MSNBC, they they both Lawrence O'Donnell and Rachel have said that um, it's, it's 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 too the the coverage of of um, Biden has been too negative that all these great things have gone on that has not been covered by the media. You know, uh, he's put more judges on the bench than anybody. Biden has. Uh, unemployment is at 3.9%. I mean, they go through they go through a laundry list of his accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they, they um, scold Democrats for being so negative and for fighting. So that's... Uh, 
So I, I, he's not watching enough MSNBC. He's not watching enough. Uh, maybe he knows uh, too many people who do watch it and are, are, are so afraid and nervous. Yeah, but, no, no. Right, exactly. exactly. My, my thing is this, and this is what I said to him, and I'll say it to you. Yeah. Is that when Trump was the president. Right. Every bad thing could be linked to Trump. And every mean, nasty thing low down dirty thing that Trump did and he did them every day Yeah, uh, would fire up thems. Right. And they would be so angry. Right. They would, that uh, they just want to attack with their guy in charge. It's like you go on the defensive, you want to defend them. So why isn't he? So Fox goes on the attack inflation. It's killing America. And then Dems are like, what do we say about that? Ukraine is about to be lost. What are we going to do about that? Afghanistan. What an embarrassment. And they, they just repeat it over and over again. Yeah, but that's not happening on MSNBC. That's the point I'm making. (laughs) No, but MSNBC feels compelled. I mean, liberals feel compelled to defend their guy. Well, no, but they also report the obvious, you know, but okay, let's let's do Afghanistan just as an example. Go ahead. In covering it, Lawrence O'Donnell, he led off his show with um, how many Americans were evacuated from Vietnam? That was a question. And then he said, zero. We left everybody behind. And so for people to complain that we only got uh, a couple of thousand or whatever it was out and we left some behind is ridiculous. And, you know, so it's not it was not a cata- uh, catastrophe as as it was reported in much of the media. It was, it was really a very good job. It wasn't perfect. You couldn't get everybody. Some people couldn't go or didn't want to go immediately. And um, and the Afghanistan's was begging us not to 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 um, give up the airport that that. Um, the Taliban came to where we left all the equipment. They begged us. We didn't do it because um, the Afghanistan leaders said if we did that, it would be a panic. And they 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 needed time to go to another country, get their money together before we did it. I mean, they didn't say that, but that's what it was. So the point you're making is that uh, it's not as uh, gloomy and doomy as uh, projected. But see, as I, as I said last week, here's the thing about Afghanistan: three quarters full, and and we're talking about the quarter the quarter empty that it is. All right, here here's my problem with Dems. Yeah, and this is the inner lefty in me speaking. Okay, and. I realize I'm so out of the mainstream when I say this. Yeah. But from the moment the United States launched its war in Afghanistan, I was opposed to it. Yeah, same here. Because I, I just saw, well, this is, this is hell for, I don't know how many years we'll be in Afghanistan. Nothing good will come out of this. I can't think of one. Marvin Gaye was right. War is not the answer. Well, actually, I, I, I was for Afghanistan. I was against Iraq. Iraq, I know. Yeah, yeah. And I was against Afghanistan. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. the United States, the arrogance 
that you think you could just go into another country and invade that country and topple their government, no matter how horrific that government is, and then not pay some kind of price for it. Yeah. It's unbelievable arrogance, Monroe. And, we, and sure right. enough, 20 years later, Biden's like, oh, I, we got to get out of here because nothing has changed essentially in this country except Americans. For Americans' perspective, soldiers keep dying. From right. Afghanistan's perspective, Americans are killing Afghanistan's Stanis. Right. So I know there are people, Afghanistanians, who say, we welcome America. We we despise the Taliban. I understand that. I understand that. That complicates the situation. But from a perspective of America's ability, it's foolish to think that the United States has the capability, Monroe, you know this, to go yeah, into a see, country. With the, with the Afghanistan, I thought we should go in. But I thought we would do like Daddy Bush did in Iraq, where you, you go and you do a shock and awe thing and then get the hell out. And, and that's what it was I, Kuwait. Uh, Kuwait, yeah. Kuwait. Right. Kuwait, Kuwait, Kuwait. Yeah. Yeah. He, Daddy Bush stopped at the border and did not go in uh, to Iraq to uh, eradicate uh, uh, Hussein. And so, yeah. uh, and and what I'm saying is I was against that war too. <laughs> some, I guess there's some consistencies here. Because again, Monroe, the arrogance, you think you're not going to have a psychic consequence for, for launching a war like what, that? There are uh, ramifications from that war, uh, from the 1991 war, it did, it stirred so much animosity toward the United States around the world. And I, I believe to a certain degree, nine 11 was a byproduct of it. even the, uh, going into Afghanistan surreptitiously, uh, to fight the Russians on behalf of, uh, Osama bin Laden that came back to haunt the United States. You get what I'm saying? So this, this attitude that the United States is arrogant and above it all, it can, send soldiers into countries and not pay a price is so misleading. And lo, lo and behold, in 2021, Joe Biden is criticized for what? Being real. Do you follow what I'm saying? Oh, I thought it was unfair to criticize him. I thought it was, a, you, if you're going to criticize him, criticize him for supporting the war back in 2001, your thoughts. Okay. Uh, my thoughts are that I, 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 think that we should have gone into Afghanistan uh, because of, of the um, bombing of, nine, of the Twin Towers. I mean, we had to make a statement, but um, we should have done it and gotten out. It should have been a, a two-week war or something like that, just, just, just as a, a show of force and discourage anybody else from doing it and, and discourage the Taliban from um, from sleeping with the um, Al-Qaeda. But, but other than that, um, no, no we, we spent too much time and too much uh, treasure and blood. Uh, I'll just repeat the Al-Qaeda that was propped up by the United States uh, intervention the, the in the 80s. Uh, yes, like fight the, the Russians. Russians. Yeah. Like yeah. The United States never learns. Uh, but I do think ultimately it's unfair politically to hold Joe Biden uh, responsible for 
Oh yeah, no, that's that's mainly what yeah, that's mainly the right doing it, but some liberals have fallen into that uh, um, trap also, the ideological trap as well. And, you know, and it's because, well, now the women can't, they're not going to be free anymore, and they can't get educations and jobs or what have you. That, that cu- culture is five times older than we are. And so what they've been doing, they've been doing. And, and the arrogance on our behalf is to think that we could come in and, and um, change it dramatically, uh, flip it over. I, I, listen, I see that across the board in so many ways. It's very challenging. It's very difficult. Uh, there's limitations whenever the United States tries to impose its view of the world or its uh, – code of conduct. I don't know what to call it because so much is hypocrisy in the United States anyway, but I see it in China all the time uh, where a response in China to people in the United States denouncing uh, the tyranny of the Chinese uh, communist government is stay out of our affairs, foreigners. And, and then there's an explanation about how, uh, the whole entire history of China has been one of a country uh, that's been attacked by its enemies uh, and um, has had to confront uh, the feelings of inferiority of not being able to assert and defend itself. And so the world is a very complicated place, Monroe, to reduce yeah. it to something well, China, like... But China has had empires before, and, and long empires. So I mean, it's not like they've been the... the um, the, the the Poland of Asia, something like that. I mean, they've they've had empires, but I mean, they, but they go back so far that sometimes they're um, occupying, and sometimes they're being occupied. My point is is that it's foolish for people in the United States to believe this myth that the United States is the most virtuous country in the. The world and has unlimited military power to spread that virtue right. like a charm throughout the world. Right. It, it, we've you and I have lived through this, starting with the Vietnam War. Right, and we were lucky you and I didn't fight in that war. Bring out Charles Ellison, your right. dear friend. He'll tell us a little more about that right. war. Actually, you can take it back to the Korean War. Yes. Well, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm a little younger than you, so yeah, I was I, not alive yeah, for the yeah, Korean I knew, War. I, I knew people who, who had fought in Korea yeah. as, a, as a teenager. Yeah. Uh, same with me. I, I get that. So uh, what what I'm saying, uh, uh, Lee Allen uh, Jones has joined us. Lee Allen Jones has joined. We're going to bring him on a little bit. We're going to finish this conversation. We we didn't even get to the, the, the main issues. And uh, Monroe, what do you hear? He's got some theories, this young man, uh, that will blow your mind yeah. uh, uh, across the board. But so I just to conclude it, I, I agree with Terry. Uh, that Democrats, by and large, um, should not be so, what's the word, Monroe? Uh, I don't know. They're just so easily terrified. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I think one of the reasons the why you- White wingers, we call them snowflakes. 
Yeah, they just collapse. Like I watched this lady on the Barry Weiss go on um, Bill Maher's show the other day. Yeah. I'm so, so sick of the pandemic and COVID. And it's, oh, yeah, I know. That was ridiculous. It, it just sent a liberal yeah. a little push and they collapse. Right. <laughs> it's you know, like, the pandemic is not sick of us yet. <laughs> No, I know. The pandemic is not uh, sick of us. All right. Well, we got uh, Lee Allen uh, Jones on the show. And uh, before we bring him on and get his theories, Monroe, your general thoughts uh, about uh, the opportunities for the Democrats with Stephen Breyer stepping down. Thank you, Justice Breyer, for stepping down before the Republicans uh, have the potential to take control of the Senate. Uh, And uh, how do you think this will play out politically? I, politically, I think um, Katanja Brown Jackson is going to be uh, nominated and become the first black woman on the Supreme Court. And you think that'll uh, inspire Democrats to come to the polls uh, in November or will they fall asleep? Like- I don't think it's going to be, it's not going to be. The thing, if you want black people to show up, You've got to get voting rights and you've got to get a police brutality bill. And then they'll, they'll show up, especially if, if um, uh, with Trump being in, 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 at play, in play. But that's the other thing that one of the mistakes Biden is making mm-hmm. is he needs to make the Republicans the enemy. You know, the way Trump did with the press and and liberals, et cetera. I mean, he needs to just make the the do-nothing Republicans the enemy and use them as a foil for everything. Mm. And he's not doing that. Maybe, well, he, he says he's going to get out of D.C. and get on the road, so maybe he'll do it. Well, the <laughs> last uh, the last Supreme Court nominee... Uh, to come before the Senate for confirmation was Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, and she was confirmed with no Democratic votes. Right. None. Yeah. Uh, and that, of course, uh, a large degree, not just her ideology, the Democrats were responding to, but the clear power play by Mitch McConnell and the Republicans right. in the Senate, right. defying all the rules they set up for uh, uh, to fill Scalia's seat. And uh, in their rush to confirm before the presidential election. So uh, I don't believe one Republican will support. uh, Well, let's I don't care. I don't know who the the nominee will be. Let's say you're correct. and It's uh, Katanji Brown Jackson. I do not believe one Republican uh, will support her. uh, They really have a um, hypocrisy problem because they already voted for her months ago to go on the uh, appeals court. Yeah, in Washington. Yeah, and so what happened in in the uh, ensuing months where she was qualified and now she is not? Yes, well, they don't care about hypocrisy. All right, let's bring Lee Allen Jones in, a journalist, a former uh, Green Party candidate for Senate. Uh, he's kind of drifting toward the libertarian view of the world these days. I'm trying to push him back, Monroe, to keep him sane. But uh, And he's also a football coach, knows a lot about football, Monroe, so we're going to raise – we're talking a little well, bears. Well, see, he hasn't admitted this to you, but 
one of his players accidentally banged into him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you can get a little foggy. <laughs> right. I've seen TV. That explains it. That must explain every libertarian out there. Got too many blows in the head. Our political CTE. CTE. All right. Before we get to the Bears, and, and Monroe and I have to do a public you know, we got to say we were wrong because yeah. we both said last week there's no way. Right. Uh, Henry Davis is, is hiding in South Bend because he said the same thing. Right. No way. The Bears are going to hire a black man as their general. No way. And they proved Monroe, me and Henry Davis right. wrong. And uh, what's, even, what's even more more amazing is that they wouldn't draft him when he was a player. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't draft him when he was a player, but now they're drafting him as a general manager. Incredible. All right, so this is why I reached out to Leon so quickly. And I, I read this to Monroe. I'm going to share this with everyone, and then, and then I'm going to ask Leon if he still believes this. So I got this text. Let me just say this. Leon, he is quick. He may take taken a few blows to the head playing football, but he's still <laughs> quick on his feet. One minute after the New York Times broke the story that Stephen Breyer was stepping down. One minute. I got a text from Lee Allen and said, good morning. What's the odds of Kamala Harris becoming a Supreme Court justice and Hillary Clinton becomes VP, to which I wrote zero. <laughs> but, man, congratulations. Your mind works fast. All right, Lee Allen, do you still hold to that view that that may ultimately be the play that Joe Biden makes? Go ahead. I think it's, I think it's something you can't dismiss because Kamala's even talked about her connection uh, to former Chief Justice Earl Warren uh, and her following up him coming from California and being the attorney general. So she put that out there when she was announced for VP of what, where she was coming from. So I think it's very possible, considering that I don't think that she's going to be a viable uh, replacement for Joe Biden in, 20, in 2024 or in 2028 if he wins a second term. Uh, so, you know, they're going to have to find something to do with her. And I think in this interim, if they put her find a way, because she couldn't uh, she couldn't confirm herself uh, to, to go to the Supreme Court if she was able to get the votes. But I see a scenario where that she may be wanting to try to do that in the background. And then that would put Hillary in a position to try to possibly become VP because she's still around and she wants to be in the White House. And I don't think Hillary uh, has been dissuaded by anything that has happened. Uh, domestically or what may be happening internationally. And with her background as Secretary of State, and depending on what happens with this uh, situation with the Ukraine, what happens after the uh, Winter Olympics in Beijing, the Democratic Party has to think about that. All right, Monroe, your response. Uh, what are the possibilities, uh, Lee Allen's scenario coming true? You said zero. <laughs> I call your zero with my zero. <laughs> okay. No, okay, this is the thing. First of all, Hillary is 73, 74 years old. I'll look it up, but go ahead, yeah. Yeah. So she would only be on the court under the best of circumstances for 10 to 15 years. The well, last three oh, she would be the VP. She would be the VP. She would be the VP. Okay. Well, okay. okay. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. How how would this work procedurally, the Allen? Uh, I think it would be it would be very 
she I would Kamala would probably have to step down as VP to be nominated from from the vice presidency, wouldn't she? Okay, yeah, right, exactly. And then who so who and who is going to be the vice president and and um, just, Hillary, just to let you know, Hillary Clinton is seventy four years old. Yeah, she's seventy four years old. Uh, Go right. ahead. She be she be t- how old is Tony Preckwinkle? Uh, Tony Preckwinkle, I think, is about the same age. Yeah, 74, 74. Yeah, they, yeah, they're not. 70 is the new 60. Yeah. <laughs> That's giving me and Monroe hope. Right, exactly. uh, God bless you, Lee Allen. <laughs> 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 uh, so uh, here's why I don't believe. Go ahead. It's too complicated. It would be way too complicated. And, and but that's what we live. We live in an environment where that's what we do is complication in politics. But you can't dismiss Kamala Harris wanting to be on the Supreme Court uh, and possibly pushing in the background to try to stage that. And you can't dismiss that Hillary would want to be VP, depending, because like I mentioned to Ben, I think the presidential cycle now is not a four-year cycle. It's almost like a two-year cycle. And we'll know where the Democrats are going to be by the midterm. So they have to look at all of these scenarios and knowing they, they will know if Joe Biden is going to be a lame duck by the midterms, and we can potentially know if Joe's going to be a lame duck after the Winter Olympics in Beijing. And if he doesn't handle these international things strongly, they're going to have extreme, uh, what is it called, extreme circumstances require extreme measures. I think we could be in that political scenario. Uh, listen, Monroe, he has a valid point uh, about a two-year cycle. That, what's, that's that? A, what, what's, the, what's the valid point? That, that it's a two-year cycle these days. The presidency is a two-year cycle. Much the same thing happened with Trump. I don't know how new this is novelists. I have to think about this. Uh, but it's essentially uh, so much of our attitude about the president uh, and the way he's handling uh, the country is determined uh, by two years, whether it's fair within two years, whether it's fair or not. So I buy him on that one. Here's the problem, Leon, with your scenario. Uh, number one, uh, I, I have no doubt that if Joe Biden wanted to get Kamala Harris out of the White House, this would be a way to do it. Move her to the Supreme Court. If you want, if Joe Biden decides that it's not in his best interest to have Kamala Harris as his vice president, this would be a great way to do it because I'm sure she would jump at the opportunity for lifelong appointment to the Supreme Court. So you're absolutely correct uh, on that point. Then the issue is, why would you fill that vacancy with Hillary Clinton? And first of all, to black people, it would be kind of like, right? what a state. He, he promised that he would have a black vice president. So he did with Kamala. And he promised that his first Supreme Court nominee would be a black woman. So if you move Kamala to do both, you're effectively undoing whatever benefit you gave to black people. By having her your VP. Do you, does that make sense? You understand I, what I'm saying? I totally understand that, but this is the house of cards scenario. This is the political scenario that you would have to plot based upon a house of cards scenario. You're right. Kamala serves multiple interest groups. She's woman. She's Indian American. She's African American. She, she, she looks like the world sitting on the Supreme Court uh, by Joe Biden. Now, the Hillary Clinton thing, I don't know who <laughs> else you can put in VP that could shore up the base going into 2024 other than Hillary Clinton. What the African-American constituency has to understand is that geopolitics is in play right now. And what's going on with Russia, what's going on with China, 
uh, potentially what's going to be going on in India. Uh, you're going to have to have somebody that understands the global stage. And the African-American community's interests are too myopic to undermine the, the Democrats and how they have to administrate a global, uh, a global presence going forward. We don't know what's going to happen uh, with the economy. We don't know what's going to happen potentially with international terrorism. We don't know what Russia may do in Syria, considering what, we, what they're doing on the Ukrainian border. So when we look at the geopolitical factors, the more that reduces the voice of the African-American constituency to have any legitimacy in anything the Democratic Party wants to do. Oh, I got to be able to disagree with you. I'm going to throw this one at you. And then Monroe, I get your reaction to this. If I'm going to, I'm going to buy you, I'm going to buy your scenario because I think it's a, it's actually, I could argue it makes sense. It really does. If you, if Joe Biden has decided that uh, Kamala Harris is better suited in the Supreme court than as his vice president, move her to the Supreme court, don't replace her with Hillary Clinton. Don't replace her with a 75-year-old white woman. Replace her with Stacey Abrams, who he should have picked in the first place to be his but, vice president. But Stacey, Stacey is going to be very weak on global issues. And, See, and that's where he's... Okay, go ahead. You, go ahead. You, you, at the end of the day, global issues, when you look at the global chessboard, when you look at Europe, when you look at the fact that Germany... It's not even really is trying to be impasse with what's going on between the Ukraine and with Russia because they want that natural gas pipeline. I mean, Russia could literally on a day like today, could you imagine not having the ability to heat your home? Could you imagine not having the ability to run your factory, which is central to your economy? The EU can't survive without East, without that gas coming from the Russians. It's just not possible. So you can't put somebody like Stacey Abrams there on a domestic agenda when you have global things happening. When you look at the fact that the Russians now are going to be able to export that oil going through the North Sea, going through the Pacific, and then getting that to the eastern economies in China. So when you look at the global chessboard, I don't see how you can put somebody in there uh, at VP like Stacey Abrams that in a drop of a hat is going to have to have more than a Black Lives Matter agenda. Okay, Monroe Anderson, I have plenty to follow up, but I want you to get in on this. Your response to Lee Allen's thoughts. It's, you know, it's, this is like playing uh, fantasy football or something. It's not the real game. Uh, Judge Jackson is, is going to uh, be the nominee. She clerked for Breyers. Uh, she has she she was appointed to the circuit court, so she would be in position mm-hmm. to, to get this. So it's going to be her, and, uh, and and we're going to need to have Kamala there for the um, the 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 vote to make sure that it happens, just in case all the Republicans. Well, well, all right, so let's. I'm with you on this one. Yeah, the you're Republicans absolutely. Will listen to this. The Republicans will support Kamala on the Supreme Court. She was she was a very conservative attorney general in California. I mean, that came up when no, she was she going through the primaries. Wait, she wait, hold on. She she, I don't believe, I don't know if the Republicans would support her across the board yeah. uh, because they play very uh, tight party politics. So yeah. I don't even know if a Mitt Romney or Susan Collins would break from it. But I do want to ask you both of you a question, which yeah. is embedded in everything that Lee Allen is saying. Yeah. And that is, is that Kamala Harris, we've not really talked about this Monroe, that Kamala Harris is viewed as what? 
a um, a weight around Joe Biden that somehow or other uh, her president. I, and I see this. The right is just bashing her all the time. And of course, Democrats just follow, go right. You right. push yeah, a Democrat no, a little bashed. bit, they go right. She's bashed because A, she's black. <laughs> B, she's a woman. I mean, they're bashed Obama all the time. Uh, you know, no, no, no black person in real power is going to get an amen from a certain group of white people, and 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 you're right. The the some Democrats are going along with it because they are they're not woke. They well, mean, here's the thing, yeah, Monroe. Not, I'll add one thing to it and get yeah. a response to this. Okay. Uh, the two politicians you name, yeah, Kamala Harris and Barack Obama, yeah, were bashed, right, pounded, right, and uh, yes, they're black, obviously. But in addition, they were more or less liberal. When I look at black conservatives, they punch back. So uh, Eric Adams, who's who is a Democrat, but runs as a conservative, he punches back. He runs as a moderate. <laughs> from your perspective, he's a conservative. But from his perspective, and um, from, but he punches back at the left, and uh, he uh, back. yeah, he does. Yeah, he punches back. S- Senator Kamala, Scott from South Carolina punches, punches back. back. Right, right. No, but um, o- Obama wasn't much of a back puncher. <laughs> but uh, but most uh, I mean, Jesse Jackson p- punches back. That's why I love Jesse Lewis Jackson. Yeah, right. yeah you know. Uh, but you know, well, first of all, you. Uh, um, um, Eddie uh, Claude, Cloud, Cloud, yeah, uh, Cloud punches back uh, from Princeton University. He's a, he's um, Eddie Claude, Eddie Claude, yeah, Claude, yeah, yeah. Eddie Claude, he punches back. I mean, most uh, most black people punch back. Period, because we've had to, we've been bullied all our lives by white folks. And so most of them punch back occasionally. You know, Obama. Obama was was unusual in that he was he he spent most of his adolescence trying to get along with everybody. You know, because being half and half, so so he's he he's he's more in the um, negotiator column. Well, I, I I can think of uh, Maxine Waters punches back, and that's why right. I love her. Right. And uh, Lee Allen, jump in on this. Come on, Bar- you agree, gotta agree with Monroe and me. Barack Obama never punched back. He's still not punching back. Barack and- Obama's gonna be a billionaire. I mean, so that's you know he's gonna be a billionaire at the end of this process, and he's gonna be basically a billionaire by being a an avatar of sorts uh, politically. He was he was ne- he was like Pat. You remember Pat? On uh, SNL back in the day, yeah. SNL skit with Pat. You didn't know yeah. if there was a man. Yeah. That he was the political Pat, where you didn't really know where he stood on issues. He, he talked about Reagan. He talked about value systems. He told black people don't feed their kids uh, uh, Popeyes and all of these different things. So he was able to kind of play, a, you know, play political jazz, and the country loved it, even though they didn't get much out of it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so he, he's already uh, changed his game is what you're saying. It's all about making money, building brand. Maybe you're right on that one. But I'm yeah, just talking like, about hey, hey, party. You know, he throws a great party. If you hear about 
what's going on in, in uh, was at Martha's Vineyard. He throws really great parties. Yeah, no, I hear you, and that's probably why I'm so profoundly disappointed with Barack Obama. Uh, and and then you know I have to be realistic because you're right, he he's just not the kind of politician that I wanted. And you're right, Lee Allen, and Monroe tells me this all the time too, that he did his time and now he's cashing in, and I should just let him alone. Be, yeah, and not look- as soon as he left the White House, who was he hanging out with? He was with Richard Branson on his yacht. I mean, he basically did uh, a tour after he left the White House with all of the billionaires. And then he, you know, and now he has the Obama Center coming in the middle of a city that's going through a crime wave. He said absolutely nothing. Nobody's ever talked about what was his uh, program he had in the public schools, uh, Becoming a Man. Philip Jackson, before he passed, was vehemently disgusted in that program because it took traditional resources from programs that had already been existing. And then the president came out with a not-for-profit and put his brand on there. Nobody's made any discussion on what impact BAM has made uh, uh, in these communities across Chicago that are experiencing unprecedented levels of violence. And nobody will because everybody wants to be paid. All right, Monroe, before we leave this conversation, you want to defend Obama at all or should we just move on? Oh, you know, the, the, the well, first of all, Obama did do something. Uh, the 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 Obamacare is major, 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 major. So you can't say he didn't do anything. The other thing is he only had power for one year, and then that was over. And the Republicans spent the next seven years. No, he didn't have it for two. Remember, because um, the comedian, it took him a while to be after Kennedy died. Oh, um, um, you talk about the... The the senator from yeah. um, uh, Minnesota. Go right, ahead, yeah. Exactly. The yeah. comedian. Yeah, <laughs> the joke was no. on him. Franken, Al Franken. Yeah, Al Franken. Yeah. Al Franken wasn't in. I mean, for almost a year of Obama's term, he wasn't in the Senate. So Obama didn't have the votes. When he got the votes, he passed what he could, but then he lost um, the House and the Senate in the next midterm. So he had power literally for one year. So yeah, I hear you about Obamacare, but it's really interesting when you talk about Obamacare and then we're two to three years into COVID after how many people have died from COVID in this country? A million or how many people have died from COVID in the country? Close to uh, a million. Uh, no, not a million yet. It's 800,000. Yeah, well, yeah, so yeah, it, it will be a million. Mm-hmm. So basically, I mean, what, how did Obamacare mitigate the deaths in, a lot, in Obamacare. Obamacare is not designed to mitigate deaths. No, no. What it, what it is, what it does was is pre-existing conditions, the fact that people were going to go to get checkups and things like that. Healthcare for me is always something that I look at as being a private matter. And I think that I, I supported universal healthcare when I ran for senator. And I still believe in universal healthcare. Because if you look at the early windfalls that were made by the insurance companies that made tons of money on Obamacare, they're, you know, it, it's, it's, it's working itself out. The kinks in the system are working itself out. But Obamacare was written by the insurance lobby. And they've made tremendous profits as a result of that because it's a capitalist system. You allow the people. How many black people are, how many black, yes, it does. What is COVID? COVID is a healthcare crisis. What is COVID? COVID is a healthcare crisis. What happened to the healthcare system? COVID is a specific disease that is worldwide. And it exposes the U.S. And I understand that. And it exposes the disparities in healthcare. COVID exposed the disparities in healthcare. Obamacare preceded COVID. 
So one is related to the other. It is a healthcare pandemic. Our healthcare system is basically maintained by Obama. All right, go ahead, uh, Monroe. Go ahead. Okay, Obama had an epid- a, a, a pandemic center set up with all the, the the bells and whistles to address a pandemic. When Trump came in, he dismantled all that. So there was nothing there to fight with. That had nothing to do with Obamacare. It had a lot to do with I understand the pandemic that Obama put into place, Trump tried to dismantle. Well, Lee Allen is saying is that, uh, well, I'm going to say what I think, and then Lee Allen, you respond. But Obamacare, in my humble opinion, was one of those responses to a health crisis in our country, which is the lack of insurance for so many people, uh, in which the the Democrats said, we can't give you what Bernie Sanders is proposing. We can't give you what Lee Allen Jones uh, is proposing. We can't give you what Jesse Jackson proposed in 1988. We can't deliver it because the insurance lobby is too strong. So what we're going to do is have this hybrid where we bring the insurance lobby in, guaranteeing their profits continue. And that's the best you're going to get America. That's what they delivered. And that debate was still going on in 2019. As both of you know, when the Democrats had their primary to uh, not, which eventually nominated Biden. And they had those debates where half the people on stage were defending our current system, including Biden and Amy Klobuchar and the other group portion of people on the stage, like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were attacking it. And so, uh, Lee, Lee Allen, I agree with you that there are limitations uh, to Obamacare. But when I take the long range view and look at our country's inability to really confront the, the capitalist system on this matter, Obamacare is the best we can get. So that's I'm kind of like in between I'm with both of you guys uh, on this one. Uh, it all depends. I mean, if you look at Red America, right, you have an opioid crisis in in a lot of these red states, in the Rust Belt, in the Bible Belt, right? They're utilizing Obamacare to deal with it. I think it's how you present it. You know, you have to think everybody's suffering in middle America. And what happens is I think the Democrats allow their messaging to be presented from such a margin that it doesn't have the ability to expand out to other people because they allow the minorities and the and the margin and the marginalized constituencies within the larger constituency of the Democratic Party to not look at broader America. And that's why you keep seeing these big swings in election cycles from red to blue, because there's really a middle ground there of suffering that nobody really wants to focus on. And that's what's swinging the election cycles. And so when people talked about Obamacare, I thought about like, okay, you get to keep your kids on Obama uh, to have health care up to 25, right? Something like that, right? You know, and you look at it, look at all of these kids in Cook County that are are having heroin overdoses and that, you know, if you listen to sports talk radio, they're advertising, you know, these treatment centers. And I thought about it. Well, why are they advertising, you know, opioid treatment centers on sports talk radio? That means because they have the insurance to pay for it. Right. So it's it's I understand what you're saying, Ben. It's far better than having nothing Obamacare is. But if it was presented politically looking at the broader issues and really white America, middle white America, having too much pride to really say that they're suffering. All right. Look, no, right, me- no, this this is what it is, is against their interests. 
white America is going uh, with is MAGA uh, because of one number, 2040. The year 2040, America is no longer going to be majority white. And this is what they are concerned about. That they 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 don't they won't be in the majority anymore. They won't have any power. Um, racism has been the true virus of this country since 1619. Um, you had during slavery, you had white people who were living worse than slaves. It was poor white people who were living worse than slaves. But the thing was that they they used to comfort themselves as they weren't niggers. And so totally or they were and so and, and we have you have that still today where white uh, poor whites uh, would rather not have health insurance would not have a lot of things um, so that they could still lord it over black folks. That, I, I, but I think yeah. you dismiss a huge faction of of a growing population, and that's going to be the Spanish-speaking population in the country. And I don't necessarily think that because you lose the whiteness of the country that you're not going to have a dominant political class. And if you look at what happened in California, I want to say the last election cycle, they didn't vote for affirmative action. The Latino, the Latino and Spanish speaking community and that DACA community is not looking at affirmative action that's going to put them ahead as, as many of the African-American community is looking at. They're looking at merit. They're looking at the fact that we can educate our kids. We, we come from. They're looking at immigration. All right, wait, hold on. Now, before we go, before we go down this road, I want to respond to something that Lee Allen said, uh, his general um, uh, riff, which is that if you appeal to people's uh, essential interests, you can win them over. And this is uh, this is a worldview that I kind of shared when I supported Bernie in 2016 and 2020, mainly 2016. I thought Bernie could win some of these voters that Lee Allen is alluding to uh, who listen to sports radio. I thought he could win them over by saying, I understand your need. Your need is health care in this one instance, and I will get you health care or assistance for college, et cetera, and so forth. Now I'm in the midst of COVID, and I'm watching the response of the Republican Party in MAGA and the illogic of it all. Right. And none of it. So you're appealing to logic, uh, Lee Allen. You're appealing to somebody's interests and needs. I'm listening to people far more powerful than I am. Joe Rogan's show goes out to way more people than the Ben Jarofsky show goes. Okay. And uh, I realize that. And Joe Rogan is trotting out all these people on the air that say absolutely everything you hear from the medical professionals about protecting yourself from COVID is not true. And they had a rally this Sunday, essentially popping up one more absurd or anti-Jewish or out of your mind statement after another. And I'm watching the politics in this country, Lee Allen, and they're moving toward that. They're bullied. I look at the governor of Virginia. He's heading toward MAGA uh, in terms of a response to COVID. I look at liberals like Bill Maher and Barry Weiss. They're heading and, toward and, MAGA. And the, the governor, the new governor of Virginia, yeah. uh, is, is, is against um, 
critical race theory. Yeah, well, that, that part of it, yeah. Schools. Yeah, well, that, that's the other black. thing. That fits what Monroe's saying. You just scare white people with black people. That always works. So I, if people are not, like, responding in a logical way, Lee Allen, to how can you win them over with a logical argument that if you can't if you can't do that, then we're about to have a civil war. I mean, in this country, if you can't if we can't appeal to that population, then we're heading for what we saw on January sixth. We're heading for more events like that. We're heading for a society that is going to break at, at its very foundation at a time globally when we are not in a position to be at the top of the food chain anymore. I mean, look at it this way. We don't, we have people basically giving money away for people to show up for jobs and you have people not showing up for jobs. You have what? 67 million. That's no, like 9 million jobs available in the economy right now. Right. If there are 9 million jobs in the economy, I don't know how, you know, and, and I don't know how Monroe will feel about this. I don't know how anybody in the African American community and talk about getting federal money on jobs programs when you can get paid the same day you work now in most industries and in most retail industries because they're so starved to have employees show up in the retail industry, the food service sector, within you know warehousing jobs. How are we asking for jobs? And that's where the inconsistency is coming in. We're arguing so much nobody's working. Why? Because you know our 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 economy is heavily subsidized by the global market. Monroe, your response. My, my, my response is um, while um, unemployment is at, at 3.9, it's at 7 for blacks. So it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's not as good. The jobs, there is a pandemic going on, and a lot of those jobs are exposure to the virus. And so a lot of people don't want them. And... Um, more importantly, people are looking for better jobs, not just the, I mean, they, they haven't been able to uh, keep us in the on the plantation picking cotton or fruits for a generation. That's why Mexicans are doing it, because uh, uh, I, I, what, what about what about this uh, whole uh, road, the uh, road construction bill that just got passed, uh, the, uh, the infrastructure bill? OK, so here yeah. you have an infrastructure bill. Here you have a city like Chicago where African-Americans are underexposed in the trade. Can yeah. we agree to that? Why? How could that politically be possible? That oh, you that's have, politically possible because the trades, and I, and I got to be careful this, it's, since Ben is uh, <laughs> their sponsor, so I, I, I don't want to say the raw thing. Well, actually, most of them stopped sponsoring a while ago, but I love them anyway because when I got fired, they stood with me. So go ahead. Say okay. what you, speak yeah. your mind. But the thing is, um, it's a the, – the unions have been where they looked out for their families. And so if you're white, you're looking out for your white children. Uh, and, it, and we have been discriminated against in the trades as everywhere else. The only the only place um, areas where blacks are able to surpass discrimination is where there are numbers involved. In sports, either you um, you have a a, 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 thou, a thousand yard year or you don't, and and that determines if you're good or not. 
in 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 entertainment in in, in uh, records. It's if if you sell enough al- albums and uh, you you're bypassed. But anything that's subjective, we come out on the short end. I find that difficult. I really find that difficult to accept. In 2022, I find that really difficult to accept. It is a very antiquated assessment of uh, because if you look at the immigrant population, and I think you were just referencing that Ben before I maybe cut you off prematurely. Yeah. When you look at the immigrant population, okay, not only do you look at the the Spanish speaking immigrant population, you have to look at the immigrant population that's coming from the Middle East. They're all coming into this country and in one generation finding themselves in upward mobility with no excuses and coming in further behind the line. So I don't know how you could have a population so, so what, coming in with what argument, with, the alley, what argument are you saying that, that black folks are inferior? I'm not saying black people are inferior. I would say that the African-American politics has certainly been inferior because your political structure is like a point guard, right? We love basketball in this town. The politics should be like a point guard distributing the opportunity. We don't have a great deal of forward guidance in our community to deal in politics other than receiving subsidies. It's like, oh, if you right now go over to Illinois Institute of Technology, okay? If you go over to the Illinois Institute of Technology right now, what is the predominant ethnic makeup of that student population? It's Asian. Uh, Asian. Yeah, it is. Uh, wait, I, I, wait, hold it. Time out. Do you guys even know that? Yeah. I mean, just think about that. I don't yeah. think either one of you know that. I, if you just start, just go over there and drive around on 35th Street and you see and you just do a demographical study and count 10 people and find out what is their ethnic makeup. So you're talking yeah, about uh, you're telling me right now. Google uh, is run by Asians. Okay, you're you're telling me right now plurality of students at IIT. Our Asian background. I would, that, I would say that there are more Asian students at IIT than there are African American. Oh wow! Well, now that's a, now you're yeah. changing your okay. Right, said, no, yeah, no, you no, change no, your no, uh, your no, point, no, but okay, no, that's no, different no, point. That's what I, yeah. If you okay, go over okay. there, less less Brownlee, no, 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 um, less uh, less. I'm blanking on his name. Who wrote Who Who wrote down the Malcolm X book? My friend. I wrote Malcolm X. Less, less pain. Less pain and I had this discussion fifteen years ago, oh, and yeah. what we concluded in our discussion was that immigrants are more aggressive and more successful because they come from someplace else and they see opportunity. Um, for a lot of of African Americans who've been here and who've been disappointed time and time again, don't see it. It has nothing to do with leadership. It has to do with reality. For example, 10 years ago, there was a study that was done that said that um, you have a black person with no record, no rap sheet at all, a white person with a rap sheet the white person was just as likely or more to get a job in competition because of discrimination. I mean, it's built into the fabric. I, I, I disagree. I totally disagree. Because when you disagree, listen to this. Look at, let's, go to, let's go to Barack Obama, the, okay. the first African-American president that came 
from this community, okay? From this community. He came from Hawaii. He came from, he was adopted in this community. And let's say that he was adopted. Yeah. And that's an issue I don't know with if he was itself. adopted. That's an issue with, hey, that is an issue with and of itself because if we look at the leadership structure in Chicago, it's all important. What was so weak? Why was Chicago so low on the threshold that you could bring in an Obama? That you could bring in a Lori Lightfoot, that you could bring in a Tony Fretwinkle, that you could bring in a Robin Kelly. When you look at the people that are running Chicago, very few of them come from Chicago. These are people that came to Chicago based upon here at Washington, based upon the fact that there was easy access here to get into the political circles, and that's who runs Chicago. You don't have people that went to Wendell Phillips running Chicago. You don't have people from Tilden. You don't have people from DeSable. And and, and that's an issue in and of itself. Errol Washington went to DeSable. Errol Washington went to DeSable. I understand that, but I'm saying within this current genre of political politicians, how is it that all of these people in executive office are not originally from Chicago? How well, and after that, how? How? Since Harold Washington died, the powers that be in the city have done everything they can to disempower black people. Right. And many of the black and, leaders in this city have gone along with them. And I've watched it. I chronicled it for years at the reader with your yeah. economic development program. Right. So it and, and Monroe just wrote a, a, an excellent chapter and a book about it, about uh, what went down when Harold after Harold died. And the reality of this, uh, Lee Allen, is. I, I don't want to sound like a conspiratorialist when I say it. it's a plan, but it's a plan. Yeah, and it worked. You, wrong. you would not be wrong. You cannot have this much systemic marginalization and it not be coordinated. Listen, this is the, the, the marginalization of Chicago is the most coordinated plan in Chicago. I th- I, you and I are in agreement on that one. It is. It's and, and what happens is you get ambitious people in this city that are from this city that really have no skill set other than Chicago politics. Chicago politics is not a skill set. But I just want to say one thing about Barack Obama. Barack, if it was up to uh, the black voters of Chicago, Barack Obama would still be a state senator. And I, I let's just right. call it what it is. Right, exactly. He ran for Congress in a mostly black district, and Bobby Rush mopped the floor with him. Right. Okay. Right. Then in 2004, he ran for Senate, and that was a key thing. And most of his early support, much of his early support, came from white voters. Monroe right. knows what I'm saying is true because he was exactly. around for all that. Exactly. And, and then in 2008, and, and also all the stars lined up for him. In two thousand, but you also knows this. So many black people would tell me in two thousand and seven, "I'm with Hillary. I'm with Hillary." Just because Barack Obama is black doesn't mean I'm going to be for Barack Obama. What happened? What was the first state out of the box? You know this, Lee Allen. It was Iowa, and all of a sudden, overnight, black people are saying, "White people voted for this guy." White people voted for the right yeah, Monroe. Well, essentially, essentially, if I can say this, if I can say this, yeah, Barack Obama is the sweet potato pie that's been regurgitated by David Axelrod. <laughs> wow, what a thought! <laughs> Gotta think about that one. <laughs> David Axelrod ate sweet potato pie and he regurgitated Barack Obama. 
and Obama or Barack was very well. You know, you know, Axelrod handled Harold's second election. Yeah, but wait, time out. Barack Obama is smarter than David Axelrod. Right. Let's get it. Let's right. not get it right. twisted. Right. Barack Obama is one of the most brilliant political minds right. I've seen, right. and right. he could teach Axelrod a thing or two. Axelrod just writes the speeches. Barack Obama drove the train. And Barack Obama had the video. He understood Chicago. He walked into Chicago in 1986. I get that. I get and that. He said, what a bunch of losers. I can't wait to get out of this no, town. I can see exactly what you're saying because you do see that. You come in Chicago at, during the time that Barack came here, and what do you see? You see a education system that the that then uh, Bill Bennett said was the worst education system in the history of the city of Chicago. But what created that education system? You had a lot of African Americans that were got those uh, what got that those patronage jobs. They got all of the crumbs from the Daly administration, and that's what they created. They didn't fight right. for anything more than that. We, we will. I, we are. I want to move to this one last topic. Uh, I'll leave that one alone because. You just pushed a button with me when you started quoting William Bennett, a uh, Republican hack in the uh, Ronald yeah, Reagan administration. Like, what was the educational system like in the it was absolutely I mean, this. It, it was absolutely the same as it is now. Absolutely the same. If you go to a, a relatively well-to-do school, you will do much better than if you go to a poor school. Nothing has changed fundamentally in the city of Chicago since the 1960s. The city of Chicago, no public education. In fact, I'll go one step further. No school system in the world, in the world, Lee Allen Jones, has figured out how to get kids from poor backgrounds to uh, – on the same level as kids from wealthy backgrounds. Right. Money is the chief signifying well, well, element. Well, in money all and that. position. You know, for example, my sons went to um, the um, magnet school. Yeah, they went to those. And yeah. they had the advantage of having educated parents who um, would who would subsidize um, their education, uh, who took them to museums, who they had examples for, and so they're both successful because of that. And, uh, had 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 they lived, had they gone to one of the community schools on the south or west side, and had they had divorced parents, uh, they were one single mother. Also, their lives would have been quite different. Well, let me just put it this way. I don't know for certain that they wouldn't end up as really successful uh, people like your kids have. Yeah, I'm just saying the odds would have been stacked up against them. Exactly. And I just read this article in the New York Times on this very point, Lee Allen. I was thinking of, when you were going on that riff, I was like, oh, my God, I wonder if Lee Allen read this article about these smart kids schools in New York. that are filled with Asian-Americans. And uh, and kids from the Middle East. I'm like, did Lee Allen read that story in today's New York Times, too? And the uh, the article talks about how these kids, they go, we're not white. Don't say we're white. You know, we're people of color. Right. Uh, and at the same time, they're like, they don't want to affirmative action coming in because they're getting these spots in these smart kids school by what they view as meritocracy. Right. And if you set aside positions for black kids, they will view that as like racist against them. Right. And so 
They, there's a suit in, in uh, going coming up right now, right? Harvard, yeah. 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 So this, the, so and, and so you know, and then if we want to talk about Obama. There's another aspect that you have to look at Obama. What happens with the biracial population as a constituency group going forward to 2040, like you mentioned, Monroe? What happens when you don't, when you have a black parent that, that creates a biracial child and that kid becomes a political class within themselves? I mean, it's like when you look at the Bulls. I mean, uh, what is the kid? Zach Levine is a biracial kid. Alonzo uh, Ball, are they going to deny their white mothers? politically to, to appease their black fathers. So when you look at the political gumbo that's coming up in the country, the African-American community is going to be the low man on the totem pole. Who's going to, who are you going to talk about reparations to in a, in, a, in, a, in a demographic where you have all of these different ethnic populations? And then going back to your point, Ben, here it is. We talk about the Secretary of Education, and Arnie Duncan is coming at life for today based upon the update I got for Frank. Former Secretary of Education, strong, that may yeah. be running for mayor of Chicago. He will be running. That's pretty clear. I started the show with that. All right, let's. We, this is great stuff to finish uh, another time. We'll never finish it. We'll be discussing, right. debating this. Uh, but I, I got to tell you, uh, when you went on that riff, Lee Allen, I got to tell you, Monroe, I had converse, I had guys from Africa telling me that in the seventies, immigrants from Africa in the seventies would t- would be telling me what. They don't understand black people in this country. Yeah. I know people from like Jamaica who would tell me that I, I don't understand black people in this country and, and racism is so, so deep and I, I can't even, it's so complex and profound. Lee Allen, I, I, I can't even articulate the depths of it all, mm-hmm. but what you were saying, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm listening to him on this riff. And I remember African guys telling me this back. Uh, yeah, let's go back to the immigrants that uh, discussion that that's pain. And I, I had is they come here from another country and this is an opportunity for them. They look yeah. at it this way and they take advantage of it. And, right. um, and they don't have the history of the mentality of of um, racism that tells them that you can't do something just simply because you're, you're black. I mean, right. you know, this, uh, is, this is even more discussion. That can I end with this point? I don't know how in the African American community, and this disgusts me profoundly. When the Democratic Party brings out African American entertainers to talk about policy, Trump did it when he had uh, Ice Cube talking about policy. Uh, Hillary brought out Jay Z and Beyonce. That's a part of the problem. Nobody, we got all of these black people that have all of this student debt to get all of these degrees in economics and finance and <laughs> MBAs, right? And you bring out somebody because they can sing violent poetry to articulate public policy. What other community allows that to happen? That's not white people. Nobody's all right, love that. We'll let you get that last point in because I want to. Uh, I, I do want to get this football discussion in because uh, Monroe. I don't know if you know this, Lee Allen, really into football. Yeah, I, re- I remember this from the last time. I do remember this, Lee Allen. I remember your your love for football, your coaching. Uh, with I, it came back to me when we were having a conversation. Yeah. So last week, I, I said this already. Monroe, Henry Davis, and I ripped the Bears. I'm always ripping the Bears. No way they're going to hire a black guy. They hired a black man. So Monroe, is racism over in the United States? The Chicago Bears. <laughs> He's laughing. The Chicago Bears hired a black man as their general manager. 
they may actually hire a black man as their coach. I got to see. I haven't made that decision yet. They have a black man who's playing quarterback. I'm like, huh? Is you know, okay. Going let, on. Okay, let me, let, let me do this. Uh, Joyce has noticed how many black people are in commercials now. I mean, if you looked at TV five years ago, you wouldn't have seen this many black people in a week, what you see in a day now in commercials. Uh, and what I personally attributed it to is three things. Uh, number one is Black Panther. Number two is the um, Cheerio commercial. And number three is Floyd Brown. Okay, Black Panther was an incredible uh, success financially. And it demonstrated that white people will, in fact, go see a movie that doesn't have a lot of uh, white people in it. It has mostly black people in it. The Cheerios commercial, that was when you had the little black girl, uh, the interracial family. The girl had a, a white mother, black father. And a lot of white people protested that commercial. Cheerios stuck with it. Cheerios continued to sell. The sky didn't fall. And so <laughs> it was okay. And then George Floyd, when that public execution happened, yeah. and across the world you had these protests over it. So between those three things, then Madison Avenue went, whoa. We could put black people in a commercial and it'll be okay. So with the Bears, you uh, Poles, the guy they just hired, gave Kansas City uh, his quarterback instead of uh, Trubisky. He got Mahomes instead. And so uh, had we gotten Mahomes the Bears would be on their way to the Super Bowl this year instead of um, watching it on TV. So I, it's it, it, racism is evolving, shall we say, as Obama would say. We're evolving. We're not. There's not no racism now, but it is definitely evolving. Uh, all right, Lee yeah. Allen, your response, your thoughts. Um, being a lot younger than both of you guys, I can tell you that this trend has, and I hear Joyce laughing in the background. How are you doing, Ms. Owens? Hope you're doing well. Um, this trend, I went to Florida State. So going to Florida State, we won a national championship in 99. Um, so when you look at this trend, this has been going on for, you know, this has been, hip hop culture has really homogenized America. Right, world. So when you, I mean, it's, it's, it's going international. Yeah, yeah, it's going international. So when you look at hip-hop culture, when you look at guys, the crossover, the M&Ms, when you look at the post Malone's, this has already been undergirded. This is really the N.W.A. generation. If I, you know, you remember yeah. N.W.A.? I had to ask. I don't know. <laughs> do, you, do you know who? Even you know I who? know them. Yeah, I saw the movie. <laughs> do you know who the Temptations are? Yes, yes. You want me to start doing my shuffle? You want me to? Do, I grew up in the black household, Maroon. You know my family has Gary roots. But nonetheless, when we when we when we look at America and what's happened, it's become a melting pot. And so, uh, even when you talk about Mahomes, Mahomes is interracial. He's an yeah. interracial kid. 
even yeah. interracial. So when we look at the country, I don't know if you guys watch Succession. Succession is the show that comes on HBO about the family. The, the son, Chindu, is a hip-hop guy. Right? Yeah, he, terrible. He's a, he's a terrible a, hip-hop he's guy. A, he's a terrible hip-hop guy. So when you yeah. look at what the Bears uh, have had to do, they've had to do what everybody's had to do, is that you know the black athletes have dominated a sport like football. And that's yeah. going to change. Because you, you know, I think if you go read the story, like I train student athletes, right? Yeah. Training the student athletes is a $15 billion industry now. It's a $15 billion. Like the money you can charge parents to work with their kids to develop individual skill sets has blown up. That's why you're going to see this. You're going to see less black athletes in professional sports now. You're going to see more biracial athletes as well. Why? You have to have money now to get your kid developed. If you're lo- looking for your high school coach to get your child developed for a college scholarship, it's not going to happen. It's not going right. to happen. Uh, that said, that said, a little bit of ducking and dodging going on here, both of your responses. I do believe the Chicago Bears uh, were made a proactive attempt to undo all the damage that they've done over the last five years, at least Lee Allen and Monroe on the issue. Yeah. Starting with it. Well, Trubisky, you could go back to uh, Colin Kaepernick where they signed uh, the big boy. I forget his name. The six foot eight guy who couldn't throw a ball. It just, I still can't get over it. Say that again. I could probably tell you, you know, the center he played for the giants this year, they signed the $18 million. They gave him all that money. I'm blanking on his name. He was terrible. He was at, it was the same year they drafted Trubisky. They signed this uh, center. I mean, this uh, this really tall quarterback whose name I cannot believe I'm blanking. Oh, senior you're moment. talking about. I know who you're Glennon. talking about. Uh, Glennon, Glennon. Yeah, Glennon. they signed Glennon, and they didn't sign Colin Kaepernick. They uh, uh, and then they didn't draft Mahomes. Uh, right. And I to this day will never get over that, Leon. I don't know if no, I'll ever Trubisky, Trubisky was, No, it goes back to the evaluating system. When you look at racism right now, you got to think about who are the guys whose voices matter within football. You have the guys like Mel Kiefer, right? Yes. Mitch Trubisky was the number one quarterback on that list coming out. And if you remember, who was the quarterback that we were drafting to replace? It was Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler and Mahomes – they, they compare Mahomes' arm strength and his ability to Jay Cutler, right? And so that, but what Ryan Pace should have did was done his homework because the difference between Jay Cutler and, and Mahomes was one thing. Pat Mahomes grew up in, uh, he grew up in professional sport. Yes, his father, father was a baseball was a player. Teacher. So you were getting a guy that was a second generation professional athlete and he was going to come into a, an NFL locker room because he had been in locker rooms his entire life. The point is, the point I'm making is that, as hard as this is for me to admit, it's as though the Bears are trying to make up. Well, for I said all the that five minutes ago, Ben. Yeah. You, you missed it, but I, I mean, I didn't say it exactly like you you said it. But that that was the point I was trying to make is that they were trying to make amends for Trubinsky and Mahomes. That's what I, this is why they ended up with Poles, and he he. Uh, was part of the management team 
that brought in Mahomes. Trip, uh, to Mahomes to yeah. Kansas City. The well, draft. Yeah, I'm thinking about it again, and I mentioned this to you about Poles, the guy they brought in, the guy that I coached, Jeff Allen, that was on the that played at King High School, was drafted 44th overall at the University of Illinois. I want to believe that Poles was part of the evaluation process that drafted him out of Illinois, and Jeff got to play nine years in the NFL coming out of King High School being an unranked player. Yeah, so I will say we'll close with this. Ryan Poles, congratulations for getting a gig. Uh, I know Monroe and I are rooting for you big time. Lee Allen, I assume you are too. We're all Bears yeah. fans here. If you succeed, you will own Chicago. Uh, Aaron Rodgers said, I own you, meaning the Bears in Chicago. But that is in flux. Any Bear who builds the Bay, they're, no, they're so popular in this city. The Bears are so they have such a a, a grab. Yeah, except when the, they, are they going to be popular in Arlington? <laughs> well, they, they can go to Arlington. I have, a I have a theory. I have a theory. I think that I think they're going to make the move to Arlington, and there's a possibility Chicago gets another NFL team as a league expand. Wow. We'll close with that one. Uh, we open with Lee Allen's theory about uh, Kamala Harris, which we all kind of, you know. Hey, I went to public schools. I'm representing my public school education. Very don't early. blame. Wait, wait. Don't blame that Kamala Harris theory on the public schools. I went to, to King no. High School and I didn't play basketball. Lee Allen, I gave you an excuse. The training hit you in the head and you're still recovering. Stick with that one. I'll, I'll, I'll stick with that. Uh, I, I think there's a greater likelihood. Uh, actually, Chicago's only going to have one. The Chicago area is only going to have one uh, football team. We all know it. It's going to be in our, they'll be playing their games in Arlington Heights, and it doesn't matter because it's all, it's just yeah. a TV show anyway. Right. Our, right. This has been a great conversation. Monroe Anderson every Wednesday uh, and Lee Allen Jones, you uh, really stepped up your game today. Uh, even if Monroe and I disagree with about mm, half of what you said. Uh, and uh, one day. Before you let out, before you let out, remember I brought up the courts last time I was on here when we talked about the hearings and all of that. I mentioned the Supreme Court. Is what yes. they, and not what are we talking about today? The Supremes, yes. Leah Thomas, Leah Thomas. Don't call me Leah. Leah Thomas. All right, and I, let's close with this. One day we will be lucky, and the great Joyce Owens will join us. Okay, because you should hear. Joyce Owens. Monroe knows what I'm when she is just talking and she doesn't think like anyone's hearing except for me or Monroe. Lee Allen should blow your mind where she's going with it. Uh, you know, One day. I, know, I know Joyce. I know Joyce. She probably has that whip ready to crack Monroe when he gets off the <laughs> One day she'll join us. One day. I know she will. One day. One day. One day. All right, Monroe Anderson, uh, Lee Allen, thank you so much. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And the one thing Lee Allen and Monroe and Joyce agree on. Back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for DeMarvelous, like my beloved Chicago Bulls, DeMarvelous DeMar DeRozan. Give us a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. All right. Illinois. Illinois.